Passover. A lot of people call the Passover a festival or a feast for the Jews, but according to the scripture, the Passover belongs to the Lord. It is observed by people in the earth, but the Passover itself belongs to the Lord. In Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 9 is where I'd like to start for an introduction. Powerful verse, encouraging verse, and it reads this way, seek the Lord while he may be found. That means there's a time that he can be found and there's a time where he cannot. Uh, Job said, I looked for him uh, for a season of my life and Job said, I couldn't find him. Okay. So he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And then he says, call upon him while he is near. Uh, indicating that there are times and seasons uh, that we are going through in the earth where God is nearer than at others. And the Passover is a time when God comes near. It's an appointed season where God comes nearer than at any other time in the year. He says, let the wicked forsake his way, uh, pathology, lifestyle, let the wicked just forsake it. That's, that's the first step in making a turn. If you have a pathology of negative behavior, the first step is you have to forsake it in your own mind. You can't forsake it for the sake of someone else. Uh, and uh, whether you love it or hate it, you can't make somebody change a negative pathology by trying to manipulate them. Unfortunately, the person has to make a decision to forsake that way of living. He said, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. It is the season for you to return to the Lord in every area of your life. It is the season for you to return to the Lord. Return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's just like that right there. He will abundantly pardon. And then what I wanted to get to, I just had to read that because it was so juicy and good. Verse 8, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now that, that right there, uh, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. When God talks about his ways... I want you to understand that the, the Passover, the event that was the Passover and what took place during the Passover, it's one of God's ways. It's one of God's mysterious ways. You know, it's always a little bit of a challenge to communicate this because the Bible is so wonderfully practical. Okay? It's practical. Um, in fact, a person that didn't even believe in God could gain a lot of wisdom and insight and life application from reading the wisdom of Scripture because it is amazingly practical. And I don't know about you, I love practical Bible teaching. I love life application Bible teaching that that uh, makes it re you know relevant to me and brings it right down in the real and the raw and the the, the now. But the Bible is not just practical, it is also supernatural. There is something that cannot be explained in uh, the intellect or uh, our intelligence. And when we step into things like the Passover, we're stepping into mysterious supernatural forces that God set up by himself. Now, we benefit from it but we do not necessarily understand it. So I'm going to take a sidestep from some of the, the type of ministry I normally do. Uh, I normally try to, to mix the practical and the spiritual, but today we're going to you know, kind of go heavy on the spiritual side of it because I want you to understand the significance of the season that we're in. So let's start this way. God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. 
I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Okay. And he was speaking about natural nations and the a spiritual father of nations. So he shows him the sand of the seashore and he says, natural descendants. He says, number, try to number the stars in heaven. That's your spiritual descendants. And he said, I'm going to make you the father of nations. And according to the promise, Abraham only has one son, Isaac. So now in order for God to keep his word, he's got to turn Isaac into a nation. Well, Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Only one of them follow after the things of God. Only one of them carry faith in their heart. So now in order for the promise to be good, God's got to turn Jacob into a nation. Jacob has 12 sons. One of them, uh, Joseph, ends up in Egypt. And years later, when there is a famine, Jacob and his other 11 sons end up being cared for and provided for in Egypt by Joseph. So now, in order for the promise to be good, God has to turn 12 families to a nation. How? And the answer is affliction. Because Exodus chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 say that there arose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph, and they started afflicting the families of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. They started afflicting those 12 families. But the scripture says the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. And all of a sudden, we see that affliction is God's tool for multiplication. That if God is ever going to really advance you and multiply you and increase you, he will use the tool of affliction, pain, and difficulty. And this is beautiful to me because for the believer, God never wastes pain. If the believer is going through a season of pain and mourning and loss and difficulty and frustration, the believer cannot afford to look at it the same way as the people who do not believe. When Paul says, Paul, who was one of the most afflicted apostles that there were in our faith, when Paul says that God makes all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose, it's because he knows that one of God's favorite tools is affliction. He knows that God loves to take what the enemy meant for evil and work it until it starts turning out for your good. So so the Egyptians have put them in bondage and they are beating them and they are trying to destroy their sense of freedom and their sense of purpose. They're trying to destroy their identity and all they're doing is turning 12 families, something like you would see at a family reunion. They're turning 12 families into a nation because when you afflict a child of God, all you do is put them in the circumstance that is optimal for their multiplication. And I want to tell some of you that have been weeping. I want to tell some of you that have been groaning in your soul because of the pain you've been facing. All it's going to ultimately accomplish is going to multiply you. It's not going to take your mind. It's not going to break your health. It's not going to destroy your life. It's not going to destroy your family. All it's going to do is multiply you. The devil's been lying to you saying this is the thing that's going to destroy you and this is the thing that's going to pull you under this is the reason you're not going to grow and this is the reason you're not going to advance and this is the reason you won't get promoted and this is the reason you'll never find love and this is the reason the marriage is falling apart and this is the reason but what the devil doesn't know is you belong to God and when you belong to God Affliction is simply a tool. I don't mean to preach. I'm trying to teach, but I want to tell you real quick, it's working for your good. Whatever the it is, however bad it hurts, however ugly it looks, it is working for your good. If you don't mind, I'll draft you to help me preach. Push your neighbor and tell him it's working for your good. Working for your good. Working for your good. And they became a nation through affliction, just like 
God promised that they would. The promise was good and the affliction made sure that they multiplied to the numbers that they needed. But make no mistake about it. Every season of affliction has an expiration date. Every storm runs out of rain eventually. And as a child of God, you have to know God would never allow you to go into something unless he had an exit strategy plan to get you out. And, and when God sees them multiply to the point that they match what he promised Abraham. Oh, you got to see that. The, the, the Egyptians thought they were enslaving them. They were incubating them. When my little boy was born, they put him in bondage. Because he's born at 24 weeks and gestation normally is 40. So they took my little boy, though he was alive, they took him and they put him in a cage called an incubator. Okay. Couldn't move, didn't have freedom, uh, couldn't go where he wanted to, couldn't do what he wanted to. He was locked up because he was being incubated. Okay. That's what Egypt was. It was God using the Egyptians to incubate the promise till it grew to the point it was ready to receive what God had intended for them. If your trouble only knew that all it was was an incubator for what God has promised down in your spirit and you haven't been totally developed yet, so God's using your enemies like tools. God's using your problems like tools. God's using your frustrations like tools, like instruments to grow you to the point that the promise he made you is mature and so when they mature God said okay that's that's it that's that's done uh, Moses I'm done now go tell Pharaoh I said let my people go and so the Bible says in Exodus chapter 5 that uh, verse 1 that Moses went in and told him and Pharaoh said no I will not let him go and when Pharaoh said no uh, God started fighting and he unleashed 10 plagues as his weapons of mass destruction. I think it's so cool the way God started. Uh, you know, uh, psychological warfare is a big component of warfare. And God started with psychological warfare. Because the Egyptians, they prided themselves on the fact that their civilization was built around the largest water source in the world, the Nile River. And water is always a type of life. It represents life. So God takes all the water of Egypt, life, and turns it into blood, which represents death. It turned their life into death. That's how he started. And then second plague is frogs. I have to stop when I read that and say, how great thou art. Look at your God fighting with frogs. And, and the Bible says in Exodus 8, I'm giving the references in case you want to go back and study it. I'm not going to go through each one. But the Bible says in Exodus 8 that Pharaoh's magicians were able to make frogs too. They were. They were able to use dark arts and make frogs too. The problem is they could make them but they couldn't make them go away <laughs> because the devil does have power, but it's limited power. Ooh, I want to say that again. I like the way that felt in the region. The devil does have power, but we know it's limited power. And so in order to get the frogs to go away, Pharaoh had to bring in Moses and get him to pray the frogs away. Okay. God will cause our enemies to come to us. 
because of the efficacy of our prayers. God will cause people in your workplace that cannot stand you to have to come to you and ask for prayer. You watch it. It'll happen in the next 13 days. God is going to cause somebody that cannot stand you to come to you and ask for prayer because they know that when you pray, you can make the frogs move. And, and so they keep, keep brings Moses in and say, I know I told you. I know I told you y'all couldn't go. And I know I threw you out of the palace. And I know I said, I don't want you. Could you please pray these frogs would leave? And so Moses prays and they leave. And, and so it continues all through the plagues. And then in, in chapter 8, verses 22 and 33, the Bible is careful to, to bring out the point that all of the plagues that were visiting all of the land of Egypt, something astonishing was happening. None of it was happening to the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, okay, those descendants. So all the Egyptians' water turned to blood, not the Israelites, not the Hebrews. All of the Egyptians had frogs in their houses and frogs in their cupboards and frogs in their underwear drawer, if, if you can imagine, you know. Why'd you get so weird about the fact that I said underwear drawer? <laughs> anyway, and, 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 the, and the boils and the lice and the death of livestock, all of that was happening to the Egyptians, but it was not happening to the people of God, to the Hebrews. And the Bible says, he said, I will set apart the land of Goshen. No, no flies are going to go there either. Next verse 23. And he says, I will make a difference between my people and your people. He was saying that to Pharaoh. I'm going to make a difference between the people that believe in me and the people that do not, the people that follow the systems of this world. And one of the distinct things that's beautiful about Passover, and you will see it. I'm not just telling you something to believe in. I'm talking about something you are going to see over the next week. God makes a difference in the lives of his people this time of year. You will see a marked difference between your life and the people of the world around you. There will be a noticeable, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. There will be a noticeable difference that God makes, not even about you. It's just something God does. Incidentally, none of this stuff I'm talking about today having to do with the Passover has anything to do with you. The Passover belongs to God and it's stuff he does toward his own people during this time. That's what makes it so beautiful. A difference is coming. In your community, a difference is coming. On your job, a difference is coming. In your circle, a difference is coming. They're going to know there's something different about you. In fact, I want you to practice what you're about to hear all week. Look at somebody and say, there's something different about you. There's something different about you and what I want you to notice through all of the plagues what I want you to notice through all of the plagues I, I think this gets misunderstood so often our God most often in fact more often than not our God does not empower us to stand up and fight God wasn't empowering the Hebrews to stand up and fight the Egyptians. God was fighting for them. Because Passover is the season where God starts fighting what's been fighting you. He doesn't tell you to put on the gloves and get in the ring and come on, you can do it. He tells you, come over and sit over here. This battle is not yours. It belongs to the Lord God Almighty. And Ecclesiastes 3.14 says that what God does, there's a problem when God does something. Because you do something, you may it may be a one-off, you know? You do something, it may be a one-time occurrence. But when God does something, because he is eternal and he exists in eternity, when God does something, 
what God does, he does forever. In, in other words, if he does it once, he's so powerful that it reverberates forever in the echoes of time going forward and backward. What God does, he does forever. That's why the Bible is able to say that the lamb, Jesus Christ, was slain from the foundations of the earth because it was an act of God. It echoed back through time before the cross and it echoed forward through time after the cross because what God does, he does forever. That means if God decided to deliver his people and break their bondage during the season, of Passover, then every season of Passover, God will break his people out of bondage and bring deliverance to their lives in areas where they have been bound. If you've got a bondage, if you've got an addiction, if you've got an affliction, if you've got something tying you up, this is the season on heaven's calendar that God has scheduled to bring freedom to your life. If you're in a long court case and it's been going back back and forth, and there hasn't been any resolution. This is the season where God brings victory and freedom into your life. Whatever you've been dealing with, if it's ensnaring you, entangling you, binding you, this is the season. God brings freedom into your life, because what God does, he does forever. And, and, and he called that release, he called that breakthrough, he named that event pass over. And so the final, the final plague, the final weapon uh, is a weapon of destruction. God tells Moses, I'm sending judgment. Uh, what the Old Testament calls the death angel. Really, it's just the angel of judgment because the wages of sin is death. And so God says, I'm going to come down and judge the nation of Egypt and the death angel is going to bring the judgment of a one death to every household. And so he tells Moses, the same way none of the other plagues affected you, uh, this one doesn't have to affect you. But you need to tell every household to get a lamb. Uh, every house had to go and get a lamb. Uh, you, you couldn't just refuse to go get a lamb uh, just because we were buddies or we were friends or we were cousins. Every individual dwelling had to go and get a lamb because salvation always was and continues to be individual and personal. You can't get to heaven because of your mom and daddy or your grandmama's prayers. You have got to have an encounter with Jesus Christ individually and personally. And he says, every, every household take a lamb, kill the lamb, and then take its blood. And really gory scene, really messy scene. But he said, take its blood after you've killed it and spread it all over the doorpost and all over the lintel. And the reason for that, when you get into theology, is really, really beautiful. Because the death angel, you understand, is on assignment from God to bring judgment on sin. And all he's got to do to obey God's commandment is just make sure every house has a death. And the problem is, is that the Hebrews, if the death angel's coming to judge sin... The Hebrews are just as sinful as the Egyptians. And, and so they're in danger and they are in peril of their homes having a death. Because their homes had sin. But when they took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and the lintel. It was an announcement to the death angel. There's already been a death here. You don't have to come in here. You're only allotted one death, and there's already been a death here. Makes no difference that it was the death of the lamb. All the angel was looking for was blood. And when he saw the blood, he passed over that house, saying there's no reason to bring judgment to this house. Judgment's already been applied. And the reason that's so beautiful is God was preaching in the Old Testament book of Exodus about how he would save us 
here today in 2022, that though we have sin in our lives and sin in our houses, though we are just as guilty as the other people in the world who don't believe in God, because we have faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, because we believe that he shed his blood on the cross, and because that blood has been applied to the doors of our hearts by faith and by confession, when judgment comes knocking at our door, that we rightfully deserve where the blood is applied, judgment has to pass over and cannot visit our house. I cannot be judged by God according to the scripture because the blood of the lamb who was already judged has been applied to my life. When people have disasters or they have tragedies or they see hurricanes and people get killed and all kind of bad things happen, they stand back foolishly and they say it must be the judgment of God. No, the judgment of God was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. The punishment for your sins, past, present, and future, was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And if the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to your life, judgment from God has to pass over you. That's God's model. That's God's method. That's the way God set it up. And it's good to know if you, if you know you've been a sinner. I mean, I know there's a lot of pure and holy perfect people in the room this morning. But if you're like me and you know you've been a mess, every now and then as you as you get older, you start to think about some of the crazy stuff you've done. And every now and then as you go through time, you start wondering about some of the people that you hurt and some of the, the stuff that you did and some of the lies that you told and some of the mistakes that you made. And every now and then you wonder, I wonder if that'll ever come back to, to bite me. I wonder if it'll ever come back and take me all the way down and then you take comfort in knowing that it won't because where the blood of Jesus Christ is applied not only does judgment from God have to pass over but judgment from people has to pass over judgment from your past has to pass over and so they they put the blood on the door and the Bible says it he passed over and and then when Pharaoh woke up the next morning holding his dead firstborn son, he said, okay, go. Get, get out of here. And, and God, uh, a lot of you won't like this next part, but just, it's in the Bible. I got to share it with you. They're about to leave. They're about to be free, you know? And, um, God told Moses, hey, oh, um, yeah, y'all are free and you can go. Uh, before you go, tell all the people to go knock on the door of the Egyptians. These people that have been holding them in bondage for 400 years. Tell them to knock on the door. And ask them to borrow all their gold and their silver and their jewelry. Yeah. Moses got up and preached that message. And they looked at him like y'all look at me a lot of Sundays. <laughs> Have you lost your mind? I, that ain't for me. I can't do that. I can't have that. I can't get that. And Moses said, no, no, no. You don't understand. God's going to put an anointing of favor on you. During the Passover. That will make people give you what you ask them for. They don't want to do it. If they thought about it, they wouldn't do it. But God's going to make them give you what you ask for. And the Bible said God gave them favor and they were carrying so much gold. This is in your Bible. You can look it up. They were carrying so much gold that they had to load their little kids down. I was bringing groceries in the other day and it was a big grocery run. And... One of the little idiosyncratic things about my personality is I hate bringing in groceries. And, um, yeah, I told you, finally. 
But, but anyway, I was bringing them in, and that was a lot. And my little boy, Sam, he was trying to help me. And he's four years old, and I was trying to get done. And so I, I just started putting bags around his neck, around his arms, around his wrists. And little Sam, you know, he's struggling. And when I saw it, the Holy Ghost started preaching in my mind and said, that's how the Israelites' kids look, loaded down with gold and silver and jewelry and fine linens and clothes. God blessed them so good they couldn't carry all of the blessing, so they had to get their kids help. That's generational blessing. God said, I'll bless you with a blessing. You don't have the room enough to receive, so you better get your kids lined up behind you because when you can no longer hold what I dump on you, you're going to have to have somebody to catch what's coming behind you. It's a blessing of the Passover. It's a blessing of the season. It's a blessing from God. Let me make it clear. They did not do anything to deserve this blessing. All they did was observe the Passover. They didn't do anything to earn this blessing. All they did was observe the Passover. And God was so serious about one of his ways, so serious about the Passover, that he dumped it on them before they left just because they observed it. Many of you have had to struggle because of generational poverty. But it ends with you. Going forward, it's going to be generational wealth. Going forward, it's going to be generational blessing. Going forward, generational investments that accrue and accrue over time. Going forward, passing companies to your kids. Going forward, passing property to your children. Going forward, passing down legacy from a financial perspective. It's a shame that for so many of us, all we got handed down from great-grandparents and grandparents was spiritual things and, and things like integrity and things like a prayer life. I want to hand my children integrity. I want to hand my children a prayer life, but I want to hand them some stuff too. And God wasn't just talking about prayer during the Passover. He wasn't just talking about the blood of the lamb. Right inside the Passover story was also a favor and an anointing to go in and Take the wealth of the wicked and start to accrue some financial blessing and strength in the earth. It's time we have business owners that can go in a boardroom Monday through Saturday and get in church and talk in tongues and roll in the aisle on Sunday. It's time we have people in government that know how to legislate and know how to govern, but also know how to shout and praise the name of God. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And then, and then God tells Moses, he said, I tell you what, this is one of my ways. Remember, I started in Isaiah, my ways, not your ways. My thoughts, not your thoughts. In other words, God is saying, what's important to me has got to become important to you, at least seasonally. What matters to me has got to matter to you, even though you don't understand it, because they're not your ways and they're not your thoughts. So God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 20, and it is crazy. He says, I'm sorry, it's Exodus 23, 20, and, and you can read it at your leisure. He says, anybody that observes this Passover, you just keep that verse up there, that's good. He says, anybody that observes this Passover, real quick question, how did God ask them to observe it? Weren't there all kind of weird laws and weird stuff that they had to do? No, those were addendums. All God asked them to do was two things, show up. To the, to the temple, to the tabernacle, to the place that the Lord places his name. Have a sacred gathering. Show up. 
And he said, don't come before me empty handed. Bring an offering for the Lord during the time. Two things. And just observe the Passover. Think about it. Read about it. Pray about it. Rejoice in it. You do those things. Very simple. He said, anybody that does it, I'm dumping out seven blessings. Exodus 23, 20 has all of them. I'll, I'll speed through them. Number one, angelic assignment. Number two, God will be an enemy to your enemies. Number three, God will release prosperity. Number four, God will take away sickness. This is a little bit different than healing. A lot of times healing's a process. You come down, you get anointed with oil, you get prayed for, and a process begins of supernatural healing. And it may take a month, it may take three months, it may take six months, whatever it is. Healing is always a process. The Bible says Jesus healed some people, and as they went, they noticed they were being made whole. In other words, it was a process. But a miracle of healing is when it's just instantly taken away. During the Passover, God didn't say he would heal your sickness. He said he would just. Number five, God will give you long life. Number six, God will increase you. Number seven, God will give you an inheritance. Now, all seven blessings are amazing. I've taught on them so many years for so many times. All seven blessings are amazing. But I want to point out to you one that I've uh, not focused on as much that I think is the most beautiful. Exodus twenty three twenty. God said to them during that first Passover, uh, this is one of the blessings, the seven blessings. He said, I'm going to send an angel before you to keep you in the way and bring you into the place I prepared. Everyone say an angel. A specific angel. So this isn't your guardian angel. This is a specific angel that is released at Passover, also known as the Passover angel. Now, now hear me. Every new year, and again, when did these people celebrate their new year? Passover. Every new year, a new angel was released for that year, okay? Uh, different years hold different challenges. Different years hold different difficulties. You're not going through today what you were going through five years ago. It's a different time, a different season, a different stage, okay? So he says, I'm going to send an angel out every year at Passover to everyone who observes the Passover. Okay. I'm going to send a new angel out for that new year. This is known as the angelic changing of the guard. Okay. Do you remember when Jacob had a dream and he saw heaven open and he saw a ladder come down from heaven to earth and he saw angels Ascending, going up, and descending, going down. There is an angelic changing of the guard, and this happens during the Passover. And so, Exodus 14, 19, the Bible talks about what this Passover angel did. It says, and the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. This is so beautiful. First of all, the, the angel's purpose are to guard and to guide. To guard and to guide. Say it with me, to guard and to guide. And so the angel starts off leading them, saying, all right, y'all, come on, follow me. And they're being led by an angel, so they know where to go. Then the angel notices that the enemy's coming up behind them. So the angel that was guiding them goes behind them and starts guarding them. That's one of, to me, one of the most beautiful benefits of honoring and celebrating the Lord's Passover. Because I am a living witness that God will send an angel. 
Okay. There have been times in my life I know I should have been killed. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and God's given me a pretty good mind, but I still can't explain exactly to you how I got out of some of the stuff that I was in and how I survived some of the things I survived. And I know it's because I ain't perfect, I ain't flawless, I ain't always done the right thing. But I always have honored and celebrated the Passover. So every year, my crazy self got assigned an angel from God just because I had enough sense to know that when you celebrate the Passover and you honor God, God does things. They don't even have anything to do with you. It's something he does. Okay. Every year at Passover, an angel's released. If you celebrate the Passover this year, an angel goes home with you. A new angel assigned for the next 365 days until the next Passover. Now, I want to show you this because some of you think that's hyperbole. You think it's hype. I want to show you this. 80 years later, Joshua chapter 5, 11 through 15. 80 years later, Bible says... They ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover. Everybody say, after the Passover. After the Passover. Next verse. The manna ceased that day. Next verse. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. In other words, he looked like a man. Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or our adversaries? Next verse. So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face in worship. Notice this. Notice this. The angel that had been guiding them in the wilderness has now experienced a changing of the guard because this year doesn't call for what that year called for. The promised land doesn't need what the wilderness needed. The promised land needs a commander, a warrior, because they're going to go through some battles. They're going to go through some fights. They're going to go through some warfare. And so at the angelic changing of the guard, God sends his highest commander in the angel armies. And he stood right by Joshua and he said, I'm with you this whole year. Every conquest you go on, every war you fight, every battlefield you step on, you don't have a reason to fear because I'm going to be with you this whole year. My point is God knows what makes this year different from last year. And God knows what you need. He knows what's coming in three months. He knows what's coming in six months. He knows what's coming. He knows about the lane change when someone's going to be in your blind spot. He knows about the person that's driving out of their mind that's about to come through your intersection. God knows. And because he knows what the year holds, he releases an angel assigned for that year. Oh, that's beautiful. The Passover angel. Now, if, here's the thing though, pastor, if that's true today, we need to be able to back it up in the New Testament because you, you brought up the Old Testament, but we need to back it up in the New Testament. Okay. Acts chapter 12, one through 11. Let's read this together. About that time, King Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he delivered four squads of soldiers. Or he, he put Peter in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after. You're slow. You're worth waiting on. He, he, he arrests Peter. He's going to kill him. And, and he's, he gives him to four squads and he's intending to bring him out and publicly execute him after the Passover. Next verse. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold... 
Why? Because after Passover, that angel was released. The angel struck Peter on the side and, and raised him up, said, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Hallelujah. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself. Put on your sandals. He did. And he said, put your garment on, follow me. So he went out and followed him, did not know what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And when they went past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. A locked iron gate just decided to open itself when it saw that particular angel. I'm telling you, angels are going to be assigned in this room to every person who observes the Passover. And God is going to guard you and guide you and keep you and strengthen you. And it's, and it's, such, it's such a beautiful thing. You can stand with me. I'm done. Of the seven things God promised to do, to me, it's the most beautiful. That that an, an angel is released, the Passover angel, is released to guard and to guide. To guard from the things you can't defend yourself against. To guide in the areas where you don't have direction and you don't know what you need to do or where to go. In fact, those are some of the two biggest needs. If you boil most prayer requests down to the most common denominator, is people needing God to guard or people needing God to guide? Guard my health, guard my finances, guard me against this attack, guard against, the, guard against that, guard my family, guard this. Or guide. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to move. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to stay the job, go to another one. I don't know where to stay in the, you know, it, it's, it, most of it comes down to needing to be guarded or needing guidance. And and this angel is assigned to do it for you without your requests. Like, you don't have to ask for it. This is something God does because it's one of his ways. It's one of the beautiful things about the Passover. And God loved and honored the Passover so much in the Old Testament and made all those promises because he knew it represented the time when he would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to die for us during the same season of Passover. And this is a season and a time that's very close to God. And this is content matter and subject matter when you start dealing with the blood of Jesus, how it's applied to our hearts by faith, and how judgment has to pass over us because of our faith in him. That's so special to God. It's so holy. It's so beautiful. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived perfectly, that he died completely, that he rose bodily, and that he loves you and his sacrifice can be applied to your life no matter what you've done, that gospel is so powerful that Paul said in Romans 10, that if, if you would just simply confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus is Lord. That's what that means. If you would just confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead on the third day, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a special time. It's a special time. If you're broken, if you're sinful, if you're far from God, if you want, got something on you that you want to get off, you can stand right where you're standing, lift up your hand and say, I declare by faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That, that's what salvation is all about. Your faith not in what you can do, not in what you can clean up, not in what you can stop doing. Salvation is about your faith in what God did by himself. Salvation, David said, once he has said it, twice have I heard it, power belongs to God. David said on multiplications, salvation belongs to God. Okay. This is all about, the Passover is all about just stuff God does. That we are peripheral recipients of if we observe it 
So I pray for you right now in the name of Jesus. And my highest prayer, my highest heart and prayer for you is that as we enter into this week of Passover, culminating with next Friday and Saturday and Sunday, as we enter into this week, my highest prayer is that you will set your mind and your heart on what Jesus did for you at the cross and what God has promised concerning the Passover and that you would worship him and adore him and you would do your best to observe it. And I pray that every blessing and promise that the scripture makes to people who do that, I pray that it begin to break out in your life this week. I pray that you begin to see the fruition, the fruitfulness of what happens when we give God our reverence, our worship, and our attention. Now for every person in here struggling, Holy Spirit, you are the balm of Gilead. You are the medicine for our soul. I pray that you reach everyone right where they are. I pray that you give them counsel and instruction, insight. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person that needs a breakthrough of their life, either physically or emotionally or financially. Lord, you are the God that we can experience. You're the God that answers prayer. And I pray right now over them in the name of Jesus that you show yourself strong in that area of their life and you begin to turn things in their favor and in their situation. And finally, I pray that an anointing of favor come upon you right now an anointing that makes a difference between you and everyone else. I pray God strengthen you with it, prosper you in it, and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a great praise all over the house. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. If you have something you'd like to offer the Lord, an offering, a seed or something like that, you can bring it. I... I really, really hope to see you Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Remember, no Wednesday night, but come be with us and bring someone with you. And get here early because I want you to be able to get a seat. Get here a little early if you can. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, come be with us. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he give you peace and strengthen you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Christian world. We will see you Friday night.